0: Ed Schaefer grew up in South Carolina. His dad, also his role model, was a county administrator. Growing up, Ed was not particularly inclined to politics. As a people person, Ed loved psychology, so he joined the Citadel to get his bachelor's degree in biology and psychology. After graduating, he backpacked around Europe and thoroughly enjoyed it. Ed came back from Europe and wanted to become a hospital administrator. The best path Ed decided was to earn a law degree in health law. What happened after he joined University of South Carolina School of Law? When did he decide to switch to government relations? And more importantly, why? Why does he have a passion for disability rights? Let's join Ed's personal journey in this next episode of State Lobbying Heroes. Hi, Ed. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Let's start off with a rapid fire set of questions. What is the one myth or misconception about lobbying?
1: Um, I think the general misconception is, it's all about whining and dining. And, um, you know, there is some of that, uh, but but, as far as um, my career goes, I, I like to think of myself as an honest broker of accurate information. So, as a lawyer, I like to think that I can educate legislators um, that have a lot on their plate uh, in a quick, simple way, sometimes complicated legislation or, or ultimately new laws. Okay. What would you be if you weren't a lobbyist? A rock star. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I, I don't I don't really know. <laughs> you do I look might like, be a, like a veterinarian or an animal behaviorist. I love I love animals. Nice. You do look like a rock star, so you <laughs> <laughs> well we had a Chinese exchange student. He saw my long no cut since COVID and said uh you look like an artist or a musician. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're spot on.
0: Um what are the three skills you think are essential for someone to be a good lobbyist?
1: Um I think uh you need to you need to be have good interpersonal skills, a good communicator would be number one. Um And uh, I think you've got to kind of have a thick skin too. Um, And and, and a lot of times you may be pushing legislation and uh, the legislators have a lot of different dynamics or variables at play. And so, you know, sometimes completely unrelated to the merits of a bill, your bill won't get passed. So I think you have to be a little bit, if you're real controlling and like to completely control your work environment, that could that could be frustrating. Um, also, too, I think it's just the ability to develop relationships and to have have a relationship built on trust, to, to, to be straightforward and to be able to tell them, hey, this, this is why we need this legislation. Um, if you're going to have opposition, go ahead and be up front with them and say, the, the, "Here's here's the opposition, but I, here's the reasons we still think that we need that." That would be my three.
0: Okay, what is your favorite book or hobby?
1: Hmm, that's that's two good questions. Um, you just want me to answer one of on? them? Either are. Okay, the latest book I read was boundaries um it's kind of a self-help book i don't know if you're familiar with it but i have learned that it has become more popular during this covid time Um, and so uh that that was um you know been very helpful in my life but also just being a citadel grad i love pat conroy books he um has a way of writing things i love the low country and the coast and he's so descriptive in the way he writes i could never put things like he does but i can say yes that's the feeling i had when i was there or the smell i had or whatever you know so um the late great pat conroy is my favorite author
0: excellent what inspires or motivates you to be doing
1: what you're doing um. Well, currently at uh, Turner Pageant, I've kind of, it's not the way I started lobbying, but I have um, developed somewhat of a niche or clients around disability rights. And it has been so inspiring to see um, some of these organizations and the people that I work with with disabilities that have overcome so many so many barriers and obstacles, um, and to be able to be their voice and help them get bills passed has just um, I mean it's been the most rewarding aspect of my career at this point. Do you have any role models in your life? Um, my dad, who died of lymphoma in 2011, was certainly a role model, and I miss him so much. Um, and I'm a Christian, so I will try to, to live by Jesus' standards. Um, yeah, so the, those two would be the, the first two that would come to mind.
0: Excellent. So with that, let's jump into your past. How was your childhood? Were you, did you grow up in South Carolina? Uh, Talk us through a little bit about, you know, if there are any glimpses of you being interested in politics back then.
1: Uh, So I did grow up in South Carolina and my dad was a county administrator. So he was in local government and he went to American University, moved down. He's from Illinois and he came and um, his first job was in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which has changed so much in 40 years, all the growth from the Charlotte area, as you're familiar with. Um, And I lived there for seven years. I learned as a county administrator, you're usually not there more than 10 or 11 years, just dealing with the county council and that kind of thing. So then we moved to Florence and then Hartsville. So if people ask me just a quick question, where are you from? I say Hartsville because I went to high school there. And that's in the PD. And my dad and I have very different personalities, but I admire him so he was such a hard worker and he was very interested in politics and really wanted to go to law school, but just kind of life got in the way and he never did. He never pushed me to go to law school. My mom actually had pushed me like saying, you're good in math and science, you need to be a doctor or engineer. So um, I got a full scholarship to the Citadel and was a biology major, I love psychology. and I uh, wanted to do that, but my mom uh, said, well, what you gonna do as a psychologist? You can't do anything that way. But I, I found that, that that has been helpful in my career, just that interest there in corporate psychology and that kind of thing. Um, so that, did I answer all of your questions there? I kind of got rambled a little bit. Let me know if I, um, what I left out. Yeah, there are no rules here. So
0: yeah, I guess like so in the schooling, were you like interested in debates or were you part of any student body or anything like that?
1: So so I've always been a people person. And uh but but my dad, uh just, just being in the South and having to work with county councils, you know, one thing that I've learned my first start with the South Carolina Association of Counties in the lobbying is. You know, local government for the most part is nonpartisan. So he tried to keep politics out of it. And he also was very much wanted us to come to our own conclusion in regard to politics. So didn't try to, and I'm thankful for that, influence us or tell us we should be Republican or Democrat or that kind of thing. You know, when I'm working with local governments, they would always say, there's no Republican or Democrat way to pick up trash, you know? Um, and, and so, uh, it, that is um yeah i, I think um I, I wasn't really that politically inclined as much you know i was kind of got the science math track um and then when i graduated the citadel i backpacked around europe that summer which was a wonderful experience and came back knew i was gonna go back to school for something was kind of thinking about medical school um and then got interested in like health administration thinking maybe health law and directed a pediatric early literacy program and i had some wonderful volunteers and then i became a guardian at litem and so that is really what led me to law school um, because i thought well i could if i if i want to be like a hospital administrator i could do that with as a jd and there, it would open up so many doors for me So I kind of went to law school thinking maybe like health law. Um, And then that's when the lobbying job, when I was about to graduate, presented itself to me with the South Carolina Association of Counties. Um, Didn't really know much about it. Um, And I thought, well, there are a bunch of lawyer legislators. I could always kind of get back in the traditional practice of law if I wanted to. I love working with people and, feel like one thing I, I did when I, get, when I went to law school kind of had the um, idea of I feel like I could appeal to the salt of the earth type folks, you know, maybe sixth grade education, average member of a jury, I could communicate this simply and be persuasive. And so, of course, as a lawyer or as a lobbyist, maybe I should have said that was one of the three top qualities of being a lobbyist is persuasiveness, you know. Um, And uh, because at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to get them to do is persuade them to vote yes on your piece of legislation. Mm -hmm.
0: So um, after your high school, what made you pick the Bachelor of Science in biology and then psychology? What were you? I know you said you were interested in science and math, but was that like a natural pick that you said okay let me just try out biology and psychology is that how you picked it
1: well i started out in biology like i said i had a full scholarship to the citadel and went in the honors program and i i really being from the pd you know i was kind of country boy in a rural from a rural school i did graduate number three in my class but for boys it was kind of like not cool to like take books to class and that kind of thing i read the cliff notes of the classics. And then I got into the honors program and I was like, oh man, this is like country come to town. All these kids have actually read the classics and done all that. So I I had to change my mindset to love to learn. And that's really what I did at Citadel. And I, I did like science. I found myself navigating more to the ecology, ornithology, that kind of thing, as opposed to the organic chemistries. And I didn't really want to be around sick people all the time, and just the ins and outs of medicine wasn't quite as appealing to me. So that's when I kind of discovered psychology and, and really loved that. Um, but then, like I said, just was a minor, and, and I probably was too influenced by my mom when she said, you can't do anything with that. Don't do anything with that. You know, and it's the old school mentality, like, you know, psychologist and, Uh, psychiatrists were not as accepted as they are now I think. Mm
0: -hmm. So looking back um, with your bachelor's degree and now with your experience with all the experience and wisdom you have as a lobbyist do you see that you getting that degree is helpful with your current um, job?
1: Well You know, as far as the specifics of the science classes that I took, probably not real helpful. But of course, the Citadel in South Carolina and Southeast has been so instrumental, so fundamental to my success in my career. The Citadel has such a network. And then when you become a lawyer, the Citadel Lawyer Network, I mean, I can about thank every opportunity I've had in the lobbying world to my citadel education. Um, And then I'm hopeful too, uh, some of my love for for science, of course there are a lot of um, uh, associations, really about every special interest has a lobbyist. And so, a lot of medical associations and so I I feel like my background in science can be helpful. with with a variety of those types of associations. And and even in the disability rights context.
0: Interesting. So after your bachelor's degree, I see that you graduated in 96 and then there was a four-year hiatus, right? So what happened during that time?
1: Well, like I told you, I backpacked around Europe that summer. I I was ready to have a little break from the Citadel military college there. And that was a wonderful experience. We met friends and stayed in hostels, met a group with a humanitarian project, doctors and nurses and teachers from um, Charleston, met them in Romania. So it was such a wonderful trip. Got back in, in Charleston and worked with the Medical University, Department of Family Medicine, wrote some six-digit grants for them. Um, and 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 that's what I... Mentioned briefly before, I was kind of on the because I had that Bachelor of Science in Biology. I, I'd kind of shifted. I got a summer undergraduate fellowship program opportunity, then I published the article in a medical journal on computer based patient records. So I had begun to kind of shift my focus into hospital administration type things. And so working at the medical university, really kind of wanted to stay in Charleston. I had this opportunity to direct this new program uh, with pediatric early literacy. Um, it's called Reach Out and Read, South Carolina. The national headquarters were in Boston. So it was just wonderful, but it was kind of a circuitous path I took um, to law school. I, I had that wonderful experience. Um, and then with the great volunteers, got me being the guardian ad litem, looking out for the best interest of children. And I thought, why not I go to law school and, um, you know, I, there's no majors in law school. So you just kind of go and there's, it opens up a lot of doors and it opened up the lobbying door for me.
0: Okay. So those four years, so before you joined the law, do you think um, you taking that break um, helped you in a way to actually streamline your goals? Do you do you recommend that everyone should take a break after a bachelor's degree uh, if they wanted
1: to get to law school or take the next step? Well, not necessarily. I think certainly had a lot of friends that went straight into law school, kind of knew that, knew they wanted to go to law school all along. That was their goal. And like you've mentioned, political, most of them were political science majors, kind of, they were on that track. For me, it just, I guess took a little more time to to realize that's what I was interested in and wanted to do. I will say, I mean, it helped. I certainly am glad that I had those years. And I think it did help me um appreciate those times in lost, like kind of going back to school. I had I had worked, I'd gotten great experience, but going back to school to me was fun. I feel like um, some of those folks that had gone four years and then straight into law school, y- y- you could risk getting getting burnt out or not appreciated as much. You know, for me, after those working days, like law school was tough, but it's also you had flexibility, you had your learning, you're around a bunch of interesting, inspiring people from very different backgrounds. It made me more um, appreciative, I guess, and, and probably more dedicated as well. Not that I was a model law, law student, but I, I did, I, I will say too, that I think I was more intentional. I, had, have, I still have so many great friends from law school. And now I'm 46 years old and a lot of those wonderful friendships that I developed back then, they're senators, representatives, state agency directors. So it's really helped me in my career.
0: So um, so it looks like you already were in the healthcare domain and then you wanted to fine tune it a bit by getting into the law degree, getting the law degree. So do you recommend any specific courses which helped you in um, when, when you're getting
1: your law degree? Well, obviously like if you're, you're asking if you like, want to go into lobbying. Correct. Yeah. So I think it, I think now, um, of course in USC, we have a wonderful new facility that they really learned from the old building that I was in back from 2000, 2003. And I think they've, legal education, law school has changed a lot for the good. Um, and they have many more options as things that you can pay. But obviously any kind of public policy, legislative classes they offer, or, or key, um, I started clerking for the South Carolina Association of Counties that I think they tapped me in law school because of my citadel degree. Um, and so with my dad being in local government, I had never, re- I mean, he always kind of seemed miserable having to deal with county councils. So that was probably another reason that I went like the science math way because I was like, I don't want to do what he does. And then it was wild how um, when the Association of Counties offered me the job, my dad, who was kind of always give, gives me the other side of things that I wouldn't have thought about, says, I don't know if you want to do that. I think he really wanted me to be a trial lawyer so he could be like my investigator or something. But I had grown up going to the conferences that he would go to there, and I think he, he just wanted me to make sure I was making the right decision and um, so, I took local government law there too once I started working with the Association of Counties. Um, so, yeah, as far as lobbying goes, it is a um, very much a niche profession. And, you know, I, I find it was law school that opened the door for me to lobby. But mostly, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a lobbyist, as you know. But um, a lot of the folks, they were either pages when they were in college um, to kind of get some connections with committees and that kind of thing. Or their dad was a legislator, which, you know, I'm sure Lander communicated with you there. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it, not necessarily a dad, it could have been a mom, but somebody had some kind of inside the political track and, and, and knew that, uh, you know, had some kind of connection to get them a job. Mm-hmm.
0: So s- while you were getting your degree, you said you got your first position with SCAC Association of Counties. How did you end up in that position? Did you apply for it? Or how did you know that this is, a, this is something you wanted to try?
1: So they actually um, reached out to me when I was in law school and asked me, I'm sure that, you know, back to, I'm sure they... They knew my dad, who had been a county administrator, and then they also they had a tendency to hire Citadel guys, and so I'm not real sure whether it was my Citadel connect, maybe it was a combination of both, um, but it was something that I had not contemplated. I was working for a big uh, plaintiffs firm, a trial lawyer kind of deal, and when they offered me the job, I uh, wasn't sure what to do. I was tempted, like I said, feeling like I would enjoy going in front of a jury. And as far as a plaintiff lawyer, you have that possibility of the million dollar case, you know. So it's like, you know, that was was kind of tempting to me. But then it was when I was third year of law school, it was ultimately the South Carolina Association County said, Hey, if you take this job, we'll we'll pay we'll pay you the salary while you study for the bar. And it just seemed like a a, a more solid foundation to start in at, fresh out of law school, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And what were your responsibilities
1: um, with them? Um, so they had about 10 lawyers, about five us lobbied, um, and they break it down into different uh, steering committees to develop their policy positions. And so... I was the chair of the Land Use, Natural Resources, and Transportation Steering Committee. So, they go through a process in the fall developing policy positions, um, and so they have a, a, a kind of a proactive agenda where they can tell legislators as, as bills are introduced, well, our membership um, has adopted this policy position and here's our stance
0: on it. Interesting, and you were there for about five years, and what happened after that position? You see that you moved on to Municipal Association of South Carolina. How did you get that position, and talk us through a little bit of your experience there?
1: Yeah, so that was another Citadel blessing. The executive director was a Citadel guy at the Municipal Association, so he reached out to me, his general counsel and his lobbyist were leaving the association. So the lobbyist actually reached out to me because I had developed a relationship with him when I was with the county association, asked if I'd be interested. Um, and so basically, they named me legislative counsel there. Um, the guys at the county association gave me a hard time going, you know. Um, uh, to me, I felt like, well, it's they. All, it, to me, it was interesting because you got forty-six counties in South Carolina, and you had like ten lawyers at the at, at South Carolina Association of Counties. Then you got Municipal Association. You had two hundred and seventy-one municipalities, and it was one lawyer, which was me, and I was legislative counsel. Um, so that was a different dynamic. The different thing that they did too. They both have about fifty employee associations. And I don't know really which one's better. They both have their strengths and weaknesses, but Municipal Association, their advocacy team, you had different kind of like marketing folks. You had some folks from uh, city administration type roles. So you had like a diverse mix of folks. And most of what I did was lobbying and, and we would hire contract lawyers, do some different stuff. So, I was real comfortable and loved the job at South Carolina Association Counties and my law partner, that's, that's where he came from as well. Um, but uh, it, it to me was just a challenge, it, you know, it was the challenge of going to a municipal association and I also had thought from my experience with the county association that we should have done a better job at the state house of working with local, other local government associations including the municipal association and the school associations. There's a lot of those, all three local governments. And my thoughts were, we need to have a um, better working relationship with each other so we could go as the big three local governments in tandem to the state house and have more influence there. Because unfortunately, even a lot of the state legislators that start as a city council or county council or on the school board, their political journey, they forget their roots a little bit when they get to the state house and then it's this power struggle. And so there's, that's part of the problem with county and municipal association too is both on the state level and in uh, in the, you know, in the local government level, like a city and the, the county that the city's in, there's kind of some turf battles.
0: And so after your Municipal Association of South, Car- South Carolina, you then moved on to as a General Counsel and Director of Government Affairs with the mm-hmm. Manufactured Housing Institute of South Carolina. So how yes. did you find that position?
1: Um, I'm, I'm trying to, th- I think actually, um, the, the General Counsel that was there He was in law school with me. And he worked to work for the Department of Transportation. And so he reached South Carolina Department of Transportation. He reached out to me and told me about that opportunity. I think why they were interested in me is because I had that local government experience. And a lot of what they do is work with counties and municipalities for zoning type issues. So um, that association, was very different than both of the large local government associations. Um, and, and I learned so much about manufactured and modular housing. It was, it was quite the interesting experience. And uh, so, yeah, it was wonderful. Um, and then to go ahead and um, transition, if your next question is how I ended up at MPA Strategies was that was my next career move um, which I have gotten a lot of I I really appreciate having all this this variety of experience um I had a good friend a lobbyist she had actually done some contract lobbying when we were at a municipal association um and she said that she was kind of interested in getting out of lobbying and had a couple of clients um that she needed somebody to lobby for so I talked with Manufactured Modular House Director and asked could I take this on as a contract and then pick up the other um, clients here on a contract basis. And so it really was a a seamless transition and helped me get into the contract lobbying which I just love and and gave me exposure to my first disability rights client, which was ABLE South Carolina. They promoted independence for people with disabilities. And I was able to, like the first year, I think, when I came on board with them, uh, passed this bill um, that allowed people with disabilities to parent. If you can believe our South Carolina laws were so archaic that there was actually provisions in the law that could could take away children, terminate parental rights for a parent with a disability. So, um, yeah, we we um, you know had to work with the judiciary committees and South Carolina Board and all that because when you're taking a tool out of a judge's toolbox or any kind of change, there were all these like work these scenarios um, that people would bring up to not make this change, but all the stars aligned. We got the governor to sign the bill, and my client Abel, South Carolina, thought that I'd hung the moon. And I, I tried to tell them, I was like, "Well, we're fortunate because a lot of times, um, you know, like I said earlier, things could really get stalled outside of the merits of the bill and other things that are going on in the General Assembly can affect your bill getting passed." So I wanted them to have reasonable expectations moving forward, like sometimes it takes a long time to get a bill passed because, um, I mean, I've heard it said maybe like eight to 10 years, just like educating, getting legislators on board and just kind of working the different members and that kind of thing. It's much easier to kill a bill than it is to get a bill passed.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I hear. So. Um... So given your experience um, up until this point, like before MPA strategies, if there were one or two skills which you gained with all your experience with the Association of Counties, Municipal Association, and the Manufactured Housing Institute, if there was one or two skills which you gained from that experience, what would those be, which has helped you in your current
1: position? Um, I think commu- community gets back to communication um, would be the first one, just being um, uh, communicating the different dynamics. Communication would be first. The second would, would be just the experience of knowing how the process works. Know, and I often say too, I mean, we learn the most from our failures. So um, you know, you you see things. Sometimes you think like the simplest bill will be the easiest to pass and be the hardest one because legislators are like, "What am I missing here?" You know, yeah. um, this seems too simple. Um, so you know, I, I think truly it was just the, the the actual experience of seeing what things worked and and what things didn't, and then learning how to uh, develop strategies. Um, Also too, I I think it's so important like to, as I said earlier, honest brokers of accurate information. I think there's a fine line. You want to be persuasive and convince them to pass what you won't pass. But that comes with the caveat of, you don't want to be, and I think some lobbyists can fall in this trap, is to kind of gloss over this, has at least, been my philosophy gloss over some information or not communicate everything the bill would do. You might, you might, um, kind of pull the wool over their eyes for that bill, but I'll tell you, if you burn that bridge or make them feel like you weren't completely forthright with them it's gonna hurt you in the long run you know so i've certainly seen that played out so that 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 is part of our practice as well Mm -hmm.
0: so with all the experience you've had um working for independent organizations and now in the world of contract lobbying if someone was listening to this and they're trying to get into this field would you recommend they go down the same path as you did? Like, you know, try it out first with an organization and then the contracting lobbying world, or what would you recommend?
1: Um, You know, my path has been very helpful um, to be able to give my clients advice, but because it's such a unique, um, profession I, I would I would recommend kind of however way they could get in. I mean, another, I think very beneficial path, and I've seen a lot of lobbyists go down this track, is to become either a staff attorney or a staff member for one of the committees at the state house because, you make a lot of friends with legislators. You learn about the inner workings of, I think that's how Lander really got to start too. Um, The inner workings of kind of behind the scenes of making laws and legislators. And then that translates to lobbying firms wanting to hire you because you have those connections. So that may be one of the best tracks really. I mean, like I told you, Mine was a little rare because I think kind of the Association of Counties sought me out from a civil background and it kind of just fell from the sky a little bit. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if my path is is necessarily one to my after or not.
0: <laughs>
1: That's uh, true modesty, I guess. With that,
0: thank you so much, Ed, for taking this wonderful time of yours and you know giving it to me and our listeners. Thank you again for being here. I hope we can meet sometime soon.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so
0: much, Deepak. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Ed Schaefer. Let's educate the public on the role of government relations through your support of this podcast. Please do rate the podcast on your favorite platforms. Until next time, take care.